0: As one of the largest online golf retailers in the world, you're going to find everything you could possibly need to get you in the game this season and next because we are getting close to that time of the year, folks. Training aids, apparel, all the greatest equipment, all the accessories you could possibly think of over at WorldwideGolfShops.com. We're also brought to you by our friends over at Coghill Golf and Country Club. You guys hear me talk about them all the time. You see me on social media at Coghill playing and going to their outstanding driving range, which includes Top Tracer, a food truck, and a bar. It's incredible. It's a great way to spend a Friday night. Plus, they've got four outstanding golf courses, including the world-famous Dubs Dread, which I will be playing this Sunday with some uh, lucky listeners and people who got involved in our little promotion there. So go out to CoghillGolf.com today. <laughs> You're listening to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, your source for in-depth interviews with the biggest names, brands, and personalities in golf. Our mission, to keep you informed and help you enjoy the game even more. And now, the owner and host of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, Adam Fonseca. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Adam from golfunfiltered.com. You can find me on social media at golfunfiltered.com. And you can send me an email, adam at golfandfilter.com. I am really looking forward to this weekend. Uh, I am playing with uh, my buddies Chris McEwen and Bill Bush. Uh, we make up Second City Golf, the collective that we put together Oh, almost a year ago now. Time flies. It's crazy. Uh, the three of us are playing with some uh, listeners and readers of our respective content providers. Is that what we are? We are? I don't know. I think we're going to go with that, though. And we're playing at Dubs Dread. Uh, at Cog Hill this Sunday with a few folks. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's our first attempt at doing something like this, and thanks to those of you who signed up through PointsBet, who we've partnered with, to uh, make this happen. And thanks to Cog Hill, of course, for allowing us knuckleheads to come out there and do that. Uh, At any rate, um, well, today's show is uh, pretty straightforward, and I will admit I am recording this Monday morning. I uh, had a pretty busy weekend. Obviously, there was a lot of Ryder Cup viewing that needed to happen the first two days, and then yesterday I was helping Mrs. GU with... uh, affair that she likes to do uh, every, I think it's a few times a year now, but uh, yeah, here down in uh, downtown Lamont, we like to do a little, uh, I guess you could call it a craft show or a market, I don't know, but that's what I did all Sunday, so I didn't watch a single shot of singles matches, but I admit, I was, uh, you know, I was checking the scores every so often through Twitter as well as on uh, on the Ryder Cup app. But the important thing here today, folks, is uh, I have to admit, too, I was wrong. I was completely wrong, almost monumentally wrong, (laughs) when it comes to uh, how the Ryder Cup was going to play out. I mean, the United States comes out and uh, absolutely demolishes the Euro squad in record-breaking fashion to the tune of 19 to 9. I don't have the stat in front of me, but I believe that was the largest margin of victory since like 1973 or something just absolutely mind-boggling and the previous episode you all heard it I was pretty confident that Europe was going to come out and do well maybe maybe not that to us <laughs> but uh yeah I mean this was this was shocking to me to say the least everything that was happening on the United States side going into the the Ryder Cup matches with everything with Bryson and and Brooks and the attention that I felt was being paid to the wrong areas, none of that ended up mattering, at least in terms of competition. When at the end of the day, these, these players who, yes, on paper, were clearly the better team, but throughout the year they're so individualistic and I didn't get a sense of camaraderie or that they even liked one another across the board. It, they just put all that behind them. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, watching the the uh, respective press conferences after the matches were over, you know, Squad, of course, taking it with class, and certainly there was a lot of disappointment on the faces of the players on that team, but there was also some laughter. And, and it was funny because on social they were getting a little bit of flack for that. I, I don't really understand that. I mean, you could still, uh, you know, you could still joke around with your friends even in defeat. Um, I don't know. I it just, I didn't, I wasn't bothered by the fact that there was some laughter as well on the Euro squad, um, and then on the American squad. I mean, everything happened the way that you expected to happen. And, and truth be told, in past Ryder Cups, this was also true with the European team when they won. Everyone was drunk. <laughs> I mean, pretty much everybody. Um, clearly. Uh, I think Xander said it best, Xander Schauffele. He's like, I didn't even realize that we still had media to do after this. So you know that he was hitting it hard. And Xander sitting there with his cigar, it was definitely a a vibe of some sort. But the American squad, they, you know, they reacted the way that they should have reacted. You know, I don't think anyone did anything too outlandish. Um, There were some softball questions, you know, hurled their way, uh, including the one from Luke Kerdineen, I believe was the guy that asked uh, DJ if, despite being the oldest player on the team, if he could still party with everyone. And DJ's response, of course, of uh, abso bleeping lootly. Uh, and he even censored himself. That that was something that we're going to remember for, for quite some time. That was extremely funny. And uh, his teammates responded in kind. So, end of the day, as I said on the past, or the previous podcast, I would admit if I was wrong. And I absolutely was. I, I couldn't believe how everyone was able to just put everything behind them to just focus on the play, and there was just some outstanding golf from both sides, really, Uh, but clearly much more on the American side. And when I think of past Ryder Cups, and I've been to one, I went to Medina, uh, and I was able to watch part of that meltdown uh, from the American team uh, that will forever be something that I remember in my my golf-covering career, (laughs) albeit very short, um, but I always remember some of the shots that players hit during these these matches, and clearly, in the twenty twenty slash twenty twenty one Ryder Cup, everyone's going to remember Bryson's four hundred and seventeen yard drive. Coverage of the event on television wasn't the best. You guys know I don't like to be that person that pokes fun of the coverage, but I mean, you kind of have to have a camera on Bryson and televise it live at all times, right? I mean, you kind of have to do that. And the fact that we got a tape delayed uh, version of Bryson's drive was a little tough to accept, but regardless, we were able to see it. That's a shot that's amazing. I mean, Brooks almost holding it on 17 on Sunday, In his singles match, uh, was absolutely incredible, and I didn't know, I didn't notice it at first. And again, I'm watching all of this on replay because I, I literally didn't see a shot uh, as it was happening um, uh, throughout Sunday. But Brooks hits his tee shot and then turns to his left, and the best thing I can put together is that somebody said "get in," and I think he turned and said "it is," and holy cow, that would have been just incredible if he called his own ace to end it because I think that would have ended it if I remember right and then of course Colin Morikawa ultimately becoming the uh, player who does seal the deal uh, for the American side in his match against Victor Hovland I mean a fitting way to end it Colin goes undefeated Xander goes undefeated and then Dustin Johnson just plays out of his mind the veteran on the team at least in terms of competitors at five and zero. Oh. It, just an incredible. I don't. I don't think I remember a time, at least in a Ryder Cup, maybe in a President's Cup. Uh, I remember hearing this or seeing this, but just the level of play throughout the roster, for the most part. Daniel Berger. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know why that guy was there. Um, apparently, to shotgun a beer on a tee when he wasn't even playing. Um, but by the way, did you see that video? I think uh, you probably did. I mean, who didn't? It was him and JT. Just kind of walking around the tee box. They weren't playing at the time. They weren't in a match, and they were just spectating. And then players or fans were throwing beers to him, and they both shotgunned beers. Did they do that between matches? Like he had to go back out and play again, right? I, I don't remember the timeline. I just found that to be extremely weird and uh, and fitting for him. But then even the shots on the European side, where. Yes, they came up short, of course, but man, there was some good golf. And John Rahm, I know I say my things about Rahm all the time, and I've gotten my, my well-deserved flack for it. For it. But uh, is he the best long putter ever? Serious question there. I, I, I tweeted this uh, maybe around Friday or Saturday, because even then it was clear what Rahm we were getting uh, this weekend I would love to know, I don't even know if this is possible to figure out, but I would love to know how many miles of putts that man has made in his professional career. It just seems like every single tournament that he's in, or in this case matches, he is dropping like 20 footers, 30 footers, 40 footers, more than anyone. I don't know. It, it, he He's insane when it comes to his long putts. Um, and then Sergio. I think Sergio went undefeated this week. He may have had a half in there as well, but some of the shots that that man puts together when he's on a Ryder Cup, he's he's clearly one of the best Ryder Cup players ever. And even Rom in his uh, his post match uh, press conference with the rest of the team was commenting on how you know the Spanish golfers when they pair together. You're, you know we're thinking Seve and Olafabell and and you know Sergio and Pretty much anyone that he plays with, you know, they are always just a juggernaut when it comes to Ryder Cup matches, you know? And, and if Ram and Sergio are going to continue to do this, and I don't know how many more matches Sergio has. He's not an old guy, but he's an older player. You know, does he become a Phil? You know, the Europe Euro squad Phil Mickelson? I don't know. But, man, that that is a group that, or that is a team, rather, that you are going to see, uh, for many years I think many more Ryder Cups you're you're definitely going to see him in Rome at the next one and they're going to be tough to beat absolutely hands down Ian Poulter didn't uh, didn't make too much noise he made a few putts. you know we got the uh, the bulging eyes you know red face Ian Poulter a couple times throughout the weekend but certainly not enough and then we have Rory Oh Rory you know Rory McIlroy is someone who I've always enjoyed watching, whether it be on TV, in person. If you've never had the chance to see him play golf in person, it is a true delight. You know, him, Tiger, of course, those are players that you need to make it a point if you're even close to a venue that they're playing to get out there and watch them. Um, I don't know what's going on with Rory, and I'm not going to sit here and try to guess you know, what's going on in someone else's head. But his interview on the course, immediately following his match, you know, first with Sky Sports, because I think he spoke with Sky Sports first, and then uh, Steve Sands after. But his interview with Sky was almost tough to watch. That was a man who, in tears... Needed to take a moment, does the typical, I'm sorry, you know, apologizes for crying, turns back to the microphone, and I I hadn't seen that Rory McElroy before. And as I uh, tweeted a thread last night, I was thinking about a couple things regarding the Ryder Cup. And admittedly, I am not someone who gets super jazzed up about the Ryder Cup. I'm just not. You know, I I think it's fun. I think uh, it makes for really good viewing. Going to one, the one time that I did, was incredible. I'll cherish that memory forever. But for some reason, I just, I don't, I don't know. There are people who get just maniacally involved and passionate about the Ryder Cup from a fan's perspective. That's just not me. But then I was thinking about the players on both sides, American and Euro over the years and the number of times that we had seen reactions similar to what Rory was showcasing. And there are a lot, there are a lot. And I reflected on a few uh, in my Twitter thread last night, building off of Rory, one of which was in 2017, I believe it was, uh, Hunter Mahan needing to be consoled by Phil Mickelson Actually, Phil had to step in to answer a question for Hunter, who was, he almost like somebody pressed the pause button on him in the post-matches press conference when the Americans lost to the Euros in spectacular fashion. And you remember when Hunter, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, go on YouTube and just, just search for it. Hunter Mahan, press conference, Ryder Cup. And hearing Hunter admit that he wasn't good enough and he got beat by his opponent that day, and then reaching for a glass of water in a shaking hand, trying to drink it to muffle what would have been him breaking down, Uh, and then him being consoled by Zach Johnson, who was seated directly to his right, I mean, that that is something that is very parallel to what Rory was showcasing, albeit in a different forum, but there was agony in his voice, in Hunter's voice, and there was clear pain in Rory's face when he was talking about how he was disappointed that he didn't show up and play as well as he wanted to for his teammates. I think Rory went 0-3. And then you think even further back, and maybe even on the opposite side of that spectrum, still tears but those out of joy rather than pain or sorrow, which include, again, 2012 Medina, Jose Maria Olathabel crying as his team finished what was the biggest and may still be the biggest Ryder Cup comeback ever to beat the Americans in Chicago on their home turf. Clearly, that was a career highlight for him, perhaps even a life highlight for him. And he had to be consoled by not only Justin Rose, who was immediately to his left that day, but the rest of his players. And not so much consoled, but rather maybe just a shoulder to lean on as he was realizing what he had just achieved, what his players had just achieved. And then perhaps the one of the most memorable uh, and Admittedly, heart-wrenching showcases of emotion came from Darren Clark in 2006, I believe, when he, on Sunday, defeated Zach Johnson 3-2, just six weeks after Clark's wife died. I mean, that man admittedly, or self-admittedly, is a a very emotional guy. Watching him break down and then being consoled by his opponent right there, Zach coming and hugging him, knowing everything that was going on in his life at that moment. And then, of course, the European squad goes on to win uh, the Cup that year. Incredible. And you're never going to forget images like that. I'm never going to forget images like that. And then when you think about what Rory was trying to express and, and while there was no one there standing by him to console him, it almost was fitting that that was the, the picture there. Rory, no fault of his own, at least in my opinion, has always kind of been that lone wolf type guy, right? He's always wanted to just go out, do his thing, hold his opinions. He's going to express himself however he wants. And always does so eloquently with a ton of thought behind every word that he says. And then in this moment when he let himself become vulnerable, no one was there by him. Yet everybody was. And as I sat back and reflected about those scenes that I just described and what, what I don't feel about this event... Obviously, I'm never going to know what it's like to compete in a Ryder Cup. I'm never going to know what it means to play for your country, or in this instance, multiple countries, if you're on the European squad. And I'm never going to know what it's like to feel those things while competing in something that's meant to be an exhibition and, and realizing that there's that that difference in mentality where I can sit here and say it's just an exhibition and yet they're competing in it and then they showcase emotions like that. There is something so much greater than any individual accomplishment that these players play for. And that's why we watch. That's why we watch. I had to be reminded and it was sad that I had to see a reaction from a player who I respect so much, react the way that he did in order for me to remember. That's why we watch this. It's, there's no other event like this in sports. Now, I know many hold the opinion that this is the greatest event in sports. I think Rory himself said that. I believe Jordan said something similar to that, and I'm sure many others on either of those teams will say the same. But clearly it means something more to these players than us idiot fans, you know, on the sidelines, or in this case, talking into a microphone. And it doesn't have to mean anything to us. How lucky are we to be able to sit back and just watch something that means so much to them and you get to see the passion and you get to see the things that no individual achievement can match. And I think the, uh, the, the point that sticks out the most for me was in Rory's interview with Steve Sands, again, after the Sky Sports interview, where he just, it was almost like a passing thought that he mentioned. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he mentioned his individual achievements and through tears basically said, I, I, I couldn't give a shit but when it came to playing for a team and he continued on and he offered additional thoughts there, I mean, that that was the most telling to me what this means to him. And I would bet 99% of the players who competed this past weekend feel the same. So in many ways, while this was a blowout for one side, while I was completely wrong With my prediction, it was a good reminder for me why this event and the Solheim Cup that took place a couple weeks ago. Why these events are so important to the players who don't get paid, who need to qualify, who may be lucky enough to be picked if they don't qualify. It's there's nothing like it in golf and it's sad that we only get to see it every 2 years or in some cases maybe even longer. So I hope you enjoyed this weekend. I know I did with the limited, limited amount of time that I was able to watch, but even with that I was still able to, you know, I was still able to be reminded of what all this stuff means. Hope you guys have a great week. Sorry for uh, not getting this out a little bit sooner. And uh, you know what? Just take care of yourselves. Go out there. Stay safe. Take your health and those around you seriously. And uh, you know what? We'll be back again next week. Take care.